Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. Benfica Nation, welcome to a special edition of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and today I'm going to be talking to you, or I'm going to be reviewing um, the BTV interview with President Rui Costa that aired the day following the transfer window closing. Okay, it's been a little bit now. It has been about two weeks, so it's a little bit of old news, but I hadn't had a chance yet to real. I've, I've been keeping to myself um, a lot of, of what I thought of, of not so much, not as much the interview, but of the entire transfer window, and of, the, of course the saga that really tore this club throughout those final days of the transfer window. Of course, and um, you know, I uh, those of you that follow me on Twitter at Mike Agostino, that's at M I K E A G O S T I N H O. You saw a lot of my feelings. I got pretty angry. I got even nasty at times. Um, discovered just how ignorant, absolutely ignorant, Chelsea supporters can be. Um, and and uh, Chelsea pundits as well, as they have absolutely no idea as to how things work outside of their island, outside of England. And, um, you know, you see them saying things like, how, how can Benfica how can hold hold such a, a rigid line and hold a player hostage with that stupid hashtag free Enzo that went around? And, and that was just absolutely stupid. Um, the player had a contract for four and a half more seasons before, before, uh, you know, we can talk about quote unquote freeing Enzo. So um, the fact, just the, the, the incredible level of snobbery and entitlement amongst Chelsea fans, especially, but amongst English football fans that they think that they just have the right to any player they want and that they can, they can argue any kind of, of, 
of pay structure they want. And then you bring in an American owner like Todd Bowley, who is an absolute buffoon. Okay, he is a buffoon. He's an embarrassment to Americans. He is exactly literally the stereotype along with, you know, that stupid show, Ted Lasso, the 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 complete stereotype of what Americans think of football. And it's, it's not accurate. First of all, there's plenty of people here that know football very, very well. OK, or soccer, if you prefer to call it that. But there's plenty of people, a lot of people, millions, tens of millions of people that understand this game very, very well. Okay, Todd Bowley's not one of them. Todd Bowley is just a rich guy from a media empire that's now building a sporting empire. And what he has done is he has he has taken to Chelsea to the Premier League, a pay structure that's very common in Major League Baseball here in the United States, which is these really, really long contracts. And Enzo, when we get to him, will have signed for eight and a half years at Chelsea. Okay, so that he can spread out that large sum of money over many seasons and what he realized real quickly is that he can manipulate his way around financial fair play regulations that way by putting off the payments or by spreading it out and only counting a certain amount per season from what i hear uefa and fifa are not happy with this or fifa i should say and they may there may be adjustments made i don't trust fifa or uefa to do anything that's in the best interest of the game i trust them or mistrust them expect them to do what's in the interest of the the big clubs and you know all this talk of a super league there is a super league it's called the english premiership that is a super league there's no question because it's getting to the point where there isn't really anyone in europe and continental europe that can compete with them and they just keep bringing in uh, wealthier and wealthier owners our club can never get to that type of wealth not just because we're in the portuguese league but our structure would never allow for a, for example, a Saudi uh, investment fund to purchase the club and have complete autonomy over it. We're protected against that because I don't think any of us want that for the club. Yeah, sure. Maybe we could buy all the best players and, you know, win all kinds of trophies, but that's not what the club means a lot more to us than that. And the fact that we are, we as Saucyush all have a say and have a role in the club also is something we cherish. And um, that does that's not to say I'm against investors investing in our club either. I don't want to say that because I think that a 50 plus one model that they use in Germany is what our club should do at some point, should work its way towards where the Saucyush own 51% of, of the club or the SAD and 49% can, be, 49 can belong to a, you know, a business or a, a wealthy owner, whatever. But so that the Saucyush always have the last word but that the money comes in. It's worked phenomenally for Bayern Munich. Um, Bayern Munich are probably the best-run football club in the world. They don't have the riches of Chelsea or Manchester City or now Newcastle United or Paris Saint-Germain. None of that, okay? But they still are well-run, and they're still there all the time. That is something I could realistically see for Benfica in the future, maybe not on the scale to Bayern Munich because – as was made very evident here in in this transfer window, it's not just the money that brings players, okay? And keeping a player like Enzo, I don't think there was an amount of money that was going to keep him here for the end of the season. Because as you saw, the president made every effort to, to take care of him financially. He could have started receiving his Chelsea, his Chelsea salary uh, and 
He could have been guaranteed everything he was guaranteed while being loaned back to us until the end of the season, and the player would not have it. So, unfortunately, this is the state of the game right now. It's getting out of control. Um, I, I, I don't see a solution to it um, unless this bubble bursts someday and these billionaires stop putting their money into football. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. But uh, anyway, that that's you know the that's a little off topic already. But uh, today I'm gonna react to Rikosh's interview, so to speak. It was more of a kind of a State of the Union address almost that you see from politicians, and I and I liked it. And one thing before I get into the particulars is this is a now he hasn't delivered on everything he he promised in his campaign. Rikosh, that is okay. He promised transparency. He promised. Internal investigations. We're not. We have still not seen and heard anything of internal investigations, any findings, and the membership was supposed to be was supposed to be um, informed of those findings at some point. I don't really believe we ever will be, and um, perhaps that's something he needs to be kept accountable on. But sticking with what's going on right now, and sticking with what he has done since becoming the official, not interim, but the official president and judging that body of work, okay, which now is over a year, we're looking at a year and about four months of his presidency. Um, he's also, ironically, uh, after campaigning about term limits, we've heard nothing about term limits being brought to the, the General Assembly to be voted on, things like that. So so I'm not going to sit here and say he's he's done everything he promised. However, he did promise more transparency, and I do appreciate these addresses at the end of the transfer markets. He did it in the summer, and he did it again here at the end of the winter market, and I, obviously it was in his best interest to explain himself. I'm not going to say that too much of what he said was surprising to me, but I think to the general fan, to the average supporter, I don't know how much people really understand really goes behind the scenes in these deals and what what a transfer really looks like. It's it's a very, very complicated uh, situation. Even at the lowest levels of football, transfers are very complicated and it, it requires cooperation from from multiple parties, not just the two teams either. And, and in this this deal, it's obviously even more complicated because you add in uh, Enzo's agent as well as the broker who is you know George Mins who has always always got a hard on for for selling Befica players but when we needed him to deliver a Ricardo Horta to us he, he couldn't get the job done so that also leaves a bad taste for me that the guy can always manage to make a deal to sell our players and when we're looking to bring players in it, it, it he can't get the deal across the line he kind of holds the clubs hostage a little bit because there is a fear of by breaking relations with him that you're going to lose access to players like Aninzo, uh, Aninzo Fernandez. Not that he was the one that that you know was the reason we signed Enzo. However, players of that caliber, he is connected to a lot of them. He's connected to a lot of clubs, and um, it's it's just it's, it's it's a rotten position to be in as a club now, and we've seen you know other clubs stop doing business with him, and he lost his biggest his biggest uh, client, you know, who was almost a family member to him this year, and you all know who who that is, who no longer is using him as an agent, who who went and made a half a billion dollar uh, <laughs> deal without judgment. So, uh, 
Um, I'm hoping that going forward, we'll see less of him, but I doubt it. I do doubt it. Um, he plays an important role in the Premier League clubs, uh, or, you know, like I said, it really is in reality a Super League. Um, when you've got, you know, clubs being being purchased by investment funds of, of, of entire states, the, the, the Saudi investment fund purchasing Newcastle United and, um, you know, the Sheikh Mansour in the city football group owning Manchester City. And we'll see who purchases Liverpool and Manchester United now, what kind of billionaires, oil, you know, petrodollars are going to be pumped in to those clubs. And I mean, it's going to continue like this until I think you're going to have a dozen teams with this type of financial power. Um, and there's going to be no stopping the Premier League. And I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but it could make things like the Champions League very, very uh, secondary when when all the money ends up on the island. And when you start seeing top-level stars at some point leaving the Real Madrids, the Bayern Munichs, the Barcelonas, and signing for the West Hams or the Aston Villas or whoever else, you know, whatever the next club that comes up for sale that some billionaire decides he wants to own. That said, let's get to the interview, okay? Um Again, this this aired the night after uh, the transfer saga. Remember the backdrop? Now I, I wasn't podcasting at the time. I was. It was a dark period where I wasn't able to really get on this microphone and talk about it. But if you remember in the backdrop, the day uh, another only in Portugal kind of thing is that a club is playing a match three hours before the close of the window or even less than that. It kicked off at 9.15 Portuguese time because you know how they love their weeknight 9.15 kickoffs and then wonder why attendances are, are in the toilet, why why <laughs> some clubs are getting less than 1,000 fans per match. But we we kick off at Roca 9.15. At kickoff, Enzo is still a member of Benfica. And I remember watching this because I remember – I had the matchup, and I also had on my phone Canalons because I was watching uh, Football Total. And because nobody's saying anything, Fabrizio Romano is just tweeting the same thing over and over and over. Um, you know, he's he's not getting any information. And I'm, unfortunately, it's starting to tell me that maybe we're going to be able to run out the clock on this deal and keep the player. When midnight strikes, we could still have the player. Um in Canalons reports during the first half of Benfica's match, Benfica go ahead. And by the way, Benfica play a fantastic match that night, and um, little attention paid to it. And of course, uh, I had a tweet during the match that that was read uh, on the broadcast on Goal TV here in the United States. Nino Torres, the commentator, read my tweet. Um, actually, I think it was a DM I, I sent him because we were ahead four nil, and and you could see that the Benfica support the Benfica fans had gone quiet in the second half and that was because at halftime essentially is when this deal was closed uh the deal was finalized or announced at halftime but before halftime canalons reported that their benfica source had guaranteed them enzo was staying until the end of the season i was excited at that point because they don't normally make a call like that unless they know for sure and i now understand why Maybe the word guaranteed shouldn't have been used. But now I understand why they got a report that he was going to stay. And we'll we'll talk about it. That comes from the the report was that Benfica and Chelsea, you know, made a deal for a, for a loan or agreed to a loan 
a loan move for the rest of the season, which then the player, of course, rejected, and the rest is history. But again, how ridiculous was it that our club was playing a match while all this was going on? Roger Schmidt has to has to keep the players focused, and don't think this doesn't affect the team. Okay, this affects everybody. When one of your players is in and out, in and out, in and out. If you're Shikinu, if you're João Mario, you know, if you're Auschwitz, it's still on your mind because is this guy going to be back? Does he have my back if he comes back? Is he coming back? Okay, a lot of times people say that, you know, the players always take each other's side and they understand and that there'd be no hard feelings. I think there's hard feelings in this locker room for Enzo Fernandez. And I think the way the team has responded since he left and played some really good football since he left. I know we lost the, the cup game at Braga on penalties, but the team played really good football that night. This team is very cohesive. It's back to the co the cohesive um, team it was at the beginning of the season, you know, when we were flying, when we were absolutely flying pre-World Cup. And it seems like his return from the World Cup seemed to put a little bit of a, like I say in Portuguese, uh, Zeke Libre, a, a unbalancing uh, uh, of the vibe even in the locker room um, because he decides to he asks not to play against Braga in the league game okay keep that that's also part of the background information here he decides he doesn't want to play Roger Schmidt says you're going to play and Roger Schmidt explained it I think it was in that post game press conference that Enzo and Otamendi were the only players who've been playing this whole time while we're thinking, oh, they need rest. But he also said, you know, the rest of the guys haven't played a competitive match for a long time, for, a, for over a month. Because let's be honest, the Tasa de Liga was not competitive. Those were not competitive match. Those were glorified friendlies. Those were glorified preseason-esque uh, friendlies in the middle of the season. So, anyways, he plays apparently against his will. Has the worst match I ever saw Enzo Fernandez play. And that's going back to when I watched him at... At River Plate, okay? And I used to watch him in the Copa Libertadores and in the Argentine League. I never saw him play the way he did up in Braga, just trying to stay away from everything, making only the either the safest pass or giving the ball away, not sticking his foot in, not challenging for any balls, not not really even covering much much space. So that was that was the the way that, that, that went down there in, in that first half and then he comes off and that's when I tweet that you know this kid's heart isn't in this in this team anymore and you know Nino reads it on the on the broadcast and says no 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 don't it's it's a big move for him be happy well I can't be happy for a player that doesn't give his all when he's on the pitch for us retrospect of being you know um the retrospective vision being 2020 always shows that he should not have played that night. I think I think everyone agrees. I think the manager agrees he should not have played that night. And that's why he didn't play in this match against Soroka. Even if he had agreed to, he wasn't going to play. Okay, we knew he that until this was either done or collapsed, he was going to be kept apart. So the broadcast opens up with Luis Costa Branco hosting and introducing the president. Rui Costa sits down and... He begins by saying good evening to everyone that that is watching around the world. And he says that the main idea for himself and for his, I guess, his board or his team in this window was to continue the project they started in the summer. The, that project was to reduce the size 
of the squad. Okay. When they started this summer, when they started this project, he, he tells everyone that the club had 105 players under contract. Okay. This includes first teamers, players out on loan, um, and any B team players that were going to come up. 105, an, an astronomical amount of players to be under contract. And um, he announces that he and his his board, his 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 confidants, whoever that may be, he didn't name names. Probably uh, you know, Cui Pedro Brash and company um, agreed that that's an astronomical number. That's uh, of course that was the style of his predecessor. But that's neither here nor there to sign all these players and hope that one of them turns into Enzo Fernandez. Or in the past, it was Angel Di Maria or David Luiz or whoever you know going through the years this was always the model of that regime so he wants to break with that and that's a good thing and i think even his biggest detractors okay even the president's biggest detractors would agree that that's that's a good move every any president would have to do that i think and he announces that at the close of the market that the club is down to now 37 so from 105 players to one to 37 players in the active players in the squad and that number would actually be reduced a day or two later when Andre Almeida um, comes to an agreement to to end his contract and become a. I guess he's going to be a free agent. I don't know if he's going to play. I haven't heard anything about him signing with anybody. I don't know if there's interest in. I don't know that a player like him who's been at Benfica all this time, unless he's really got a hunger to go play, is going to go sign for for a. I don't know for a, for an Aroca or for a Portimonense right now, just to extend his career. Um, perhaps he's he's got other ideas. Perhaps he's already thinking about post career. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Under Almeida retires, you know, or announces a formal retirement very soon. And I wouldn't be surprised if if by way of gratitude he finds his way into the structure at Benfica. I wouldn't be surprised if he finds his way um, to begin as perhaps a youth team coach or a scout or something along those lines, some type of ambassador role um, after all these years at the club. And I've criticized him. I've criticized him a lot, especially, you know, during the collapse under Bruno Leisch. I, I put a lot of blame on him. Water under the bridge for me. This guy has, has, you know, handled himself very well recently since then. And he took he took all the criticism on the chin. Let's keep that in mind. Andre Almeida took all that criticism on the chin. Um he never he never lashed back at Benfiquistas. He never he never, you know, uh showed any type of discontent with the club. And um and it sounds like from what Roger Smith was saying, right to the very end, he was an absolute professional in training every single day, knowing he had no role in this team. He still did his best every single day. And I think he's well-liked, as you saw, you know, in that next match when uh, he would be honored at the Stadio de Luz uh, with all of those. And, I mean, you can't take away all those titles that were won while he was in the side. So, you know, he, he whether people like it or not, Andrea Almeida, will be a name engraved in the history of this club, especially in an era like this where players don't stay very long. A guy who stayed, I think, eight years like he did and won all those titles, and he's one of only four tetracampeões. I think uh, it was him, Luizão. Um, him, Luizão. Uh, 
yeah, my my memory's escaping me right now. Peasy, I want to say, was one of them, and maybe uh, Jardel. I think those were the four. I could be wrong. Um, you can tweet me if I'm. I'm sure I'm wrong. You don't have to tweet me on it. I'm sure there's someone I left out of that out of that. Uh, oh, and uh, Peja, and Feja. Those were the 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 Tetra campeones, the ones that were there for all four titles so the man deserves his due and he was clearly very emotional and um there's no question he loves this club and um so the the the, the squad was reduced by by yet another player after that okay so Rui goes on and he talks about that and he he would then go that the ideal number for the squad he said is between 25 and 34 players. And that, of course, also depends a little bit on the manager. Some managers like to have it closer to that 25 or even 24, 23. Other managers like to have – there are managers that like to have 35 players to choose from in training. That like to have a large squad and lots of options. And there are some players that utilize more um, – movement between the the first team and the reserve team or in our in our situation it's the a team and the b team and then there's other managers that like to just close off the squad and that's my squad and this is the guys I, i'm going to battle with so he he gives a little bit of a general idea there and he finishes that point by saying that the club managed to complete this project of reducing the number of players to an acceptable amount within two transfer windows and that the goal had been to do it in four or five. So uh, he gave a lot of credit to his people, to everybody who works with him on these projects. So we now get the players leaving. Okay. So, and these are the players that leave on a permanent. Okay. I didn't even get into to the loans, um, but the players that left on a permanent in this window specifically it was read off by Luis Castabranc. And it's Rodrigo Pino to Coritiba for half a million plus bonuses. I think by bonuses they mean um, objectives, add-on objectives. Uh, and I think Rodrigo Pino, to be honest, having followed pretty closely the Brasileirão in the last couple of seasons, could be a top scorer in the Brasileirão this year. Um, if, if he's the right fit at Coritiba, okay, he's got a Portuguese manager there. He's going to be playing for... Uh, Antonio Oliveira, our former BT manager, of course, our legend, Tony's son, so Tony Jr. He's going to be playing for him at Curitiba, and I think that uh, there's a very good possibility that he he hits whatever those objectives are. And I do believe if he also have the right to 10% of a future transfer on that deal. Also leaving is Tomas Tavares. Remember him a few seasons ago, and I feel bad for this kid because this kid's development was absolutely destroyed by the model at the time of throwing these kids in in the Champions League, um, using the Champions League group stage as a shop window, and really uh, not. He, this kid completely skipped the B team part of the of the pyramid. He went from the U23s right into the Champions League. And there's many coaches, and I've heard Renato Paiva say this, Renato Paiva, who's also now in the Brasileirão, but a former Benfica B team manager, very highly respected in terms of spotting talent. And he said that Tomás Tovarz was the most talented footballer he saw at Seychelles. Okay, that's including everybody else, raw talent. He said the problem was they, they fast-forwarded the process too much. He skipped too many steps, and now he's leaving the club after various loans. Uh, on a permanent deal to Spartak Moscow, of all places, 
for two million plus thirty percent of future uh, of a future transfer. Spartek Moscow. I I do not envy anybody that is getting sold to play in Russian football right now. But uh, we're going to return to the Russian market. A few players down the list. But before then, we'll talk Diogo Gonçalves to FC Copenhagen, one of the powerhouses in the Danish league. Two million plus a one million in objectives, and a thirty percent uh, right right to thirty percent of a future transfer. Um, again, a player I think who was was disserved by the club. To be honest with you, I think what happened was he came through the process. Right, he went out. He actually left on a permanent, ended up at Family Cone, had a great season as a box-to-box midfielder, teaming up with, remember that midfield of him and Potts, who now plays for Sporting, obviously, him and Potts playing in a midfield together. And Family Cone was so close to qualifying for Europe that year, and they had other good players in there. Tony Martinez was in that team. You know, Fabio Martinez was in that team, obviously. It was a very, very strong Family Cone team. Ugarte was in that team. Okay, this was this was not your average family cone team and he shone he shined on that team when he got back George Zuz decided to use him as a wing back and I didn't disagree with that and I still think I still think he was done a disservice was when George Zuz left Nelson Verissimo came in and completely stopped using him as a wing back I think he made progress I think he could have developed into a wing back but then he was just thrown back to his old position after a year and a half of trying to be molded into a wingback. And he got lost in the shuffle. He just got lost. Uh, he's an enormously talented player. It didn't work out. I'm happy for him that he's got to move. And I'm happy for him that he's going to go to a team that I think is going to really value him. And I hope he's very successful wherever he plays his football because there's a tremendous amount of talent in that player, he goes for two million, like I said, plus one million in objectives, and a thirty percent, uh, a right to thirty percent of the next sale. Uh, João Ferreira, uh, a, I believe he's an outside back, goes to Watford. He never really got a chance in the first team. I think he played once under uh, Bruno Leis or maybe under Nelson Verissimo the first time. Um, Two point five million plus ten percent of a future sale. He goes to the championship. The English Championship is a legit league. There, there is no uh, shame in going to play in the championship. Um, a lot of good players come out of there, and we've seen we've seen a lot of players come from there and go become very very good Premier League players. Um, just the Portuguese ones alone. We can talk about Ruben Neves. We can talk about um, we can talk about um, Jota there at at who now is at Liverpool, who's injured, uh, going to Wolves. Diogo Jota, I couldn't think of his first name for a second. Going to Wolves, playing well in the championship, getting promoted, and then finding his way to Liverpool. Um, there's no shame in going to the championship. That's that's the moral of that story. Elton Late leaves to Antalya Spor in the Turkish League, and I hope he is all right. We all know what's happened in Turkey in the last week, and um, you know there's a lot of clubs that are announcing that they're they're calling off the rest of their season because they just don't have the means to continue to play. I don't know the status of Antalya Spor, but they're in the Turkish Super League, so I do hope that um I do hope that everybody's okay obviously and I hope that uh, they can get back to work and, and you know continue to earn their living. But um he went on somewhat of a free but uh the club ceded 
50% of his rights to to Antelyaspor. So in the event of a future sale, the, the club will have a right to 50% of that transfer. Uh, Hermano Conti, who has not been here for several years, has been playing in South America, bouncing between the, the Argentine and the Brazilian League, now moves also to the Russian League and uh, to Lokomotiv Moscow, 2 million plus add-ons, um, plus a 20% future sale. Good. These are all good bits of business by Benfica. And I don't, I'm tired of talking about good business. I mean, I'm sure it's taken 30 minutes for me to get to this point, but I am sick of talking about Benfica's done good business. Okay, I want titles. I don't want good, good deals. I hate when graphics pop up on the internet and it shows how much money we've made in transfers in the last five years. I... I think we're all sick of it at this point. That does has not translated to any type of on-the-pitch success. But Ricochet will explain momentarily what um, you know all these deals do add up to something, and it was for a football purpose that these deals are being made, not just for a financial purpose, and then. We get to John Brooks, the American who rarely played. It was he 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 got in in one match, I think, in the league, and Roger played him at striker in Guimarães, hoping that his height and his aerial prowess will, would deliver a, a a winner, a winning goal late in that match up there at the um, at the Alfonso Rix in Guimarães. It didn't work out. Uh, Rui Costa did make a point to to stress about John Brooks. He came in on the final day of the summer transfer window. He completely derailed a move he'd already agreed on. He was on his way to Mallorca and he took a sharp turn north to Lisbon uh, for the opportunity. And he said that he was a great a great professional to work with. He, he gave everything to the club. He understood his circumstances. He never once complained. And he, under, he, he reminded everyone why we made the the, the signing of John Brooks on the final day because of injuries that had happened in our back line. We were facing the prospects of only registering two central defenders for the group stage of the UEFA Champions League, knowing that, uh, knowing that João Vitor and that Moratu were injured at that time and would not be ready for the, for the group stage by and large, um, especially for the first, you know, three, four match days. So he brought in John Brooks, because he said he he couldn't go into the group stage with just two central defenders under con you know registered and one of them being an eighteen year old kid, turns out Antonio Silva turned out to be really good. We knew he, he we knew his ability. We didn't know he would blow up to be what he is. We had nobody nobody at the close of the August transfer window was saying that Antonio Silva was going to go to the World Cup for Portugal, but he did, and uh, he really he really rose his game, elevated his game, and formed a formidable partnership with, with Otamendi. And as a result, John Brooks didn't really see any action, but um, Rui Costa was, uh, uh, was especially grateful. He expressed gratitude to John Brooks for coming, and he says that, uh, you know, with six central backs now in the team, all of them have a heightened quality. He did not want to keep that many because he – you know, he wanted to give the players an opportunity to play. John Brooks goes to Hoffenheim for 300,000 and 200,000 in objectives. And now he's playing for an American manager. So it's, it's a, I think he's going to be all right at Hoffenheim. Um, Gilles Diaz 
goes to Stuttgart on a 1 million uh, euro deal plus 1.5 million in objectives and 20% of a future transfer. Gilles Diaz is one of those guys just absolutely disliked by the fan base, to be honest. Um, I don't think he, he really never got an opportunity. And, and to be fair, um, he never really showed the quality that said he deserved one. He did score against Sporting, though. So anybody who scores against Sporting leaves with something in their Benfica career, you know, something to for Benfica just to remember. He scored a goal at Alvalade over Sporting. That's more than some people can say. So, uh, again, I wish him, you know, he's still a very young player. And uh, he may just fit into to a, a good system there. And he may be a good fit for Stuttgart. And hopefully he will be. And then we have the Enzo deal to Chelsea, 121 million, as we know. 25% of that, of course, going to River Plate. So they explained they'll get to Enzo in a minute, and I will get to Enzo in a minute because um, I'm probably going to uh, probably going to to go off a little bit on Enzo. I've been holding it in, but uh, maybe I won't. I don't know. Um, It's 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 a tough thing to again. It's football is one of these things, and the club has less power than I think most people realize they have. Okay, the club in modern football is virtually powerless to prevent to prevent a player from moving when he wants to be transferred. Okay, especially a player the caliber of a Enzo Fernandez. Right. It's it's just there's only so much that the club can realistically do. And I think Rui Costa did everything. he. I want to start by saying I think he did everything he possibly could to keep this player aside from just refusing to sell him and throwing him on the B team, which uh, a large enough portion of the fan base wanted. But that's you know, that's not what's best for the club as much as that would be what's best for our egos and for our pride. That's not what's best for the club. The club cannot have a player like this and rot him away. Even if that's what the player deserves, okay? Um, but before we get to to that, okay, um, actually, we uh, he talks about Elton Late as well. That's, that's what um, I, I failed to mention. Elton Late left, and he explained this deal as well. Uh, Elton Late was allowed to leave because he he was allowed to leave because he wanted to play, and he's at a stage in his career where he needs to play. So the club can't found a solution for the player. Okay, the club found a solution, and it turns out to be somewhat of a free. It's not really a free, but he went somewhere where he can play. And Huikasha said that this deal was only made. Because of the confidence that both the manager and the president and the board had in the other goalkeepers already in the squad. The B-team goalkeepers. Talking, of course, about Samu and about um, Andrea. Oh, what's his, <laughs> and uh, his name is escaping me now. Andrea Gomes, sorry. Um, same name as a midfielder we had some years ago. Okay, so both of those uh, goalkeepers, we have enough 
confidence in that they could be the the backup for for Odi Vlakodimos. I know a lot of fans wanted another goalkeeper brought in here. A lot of fans are unhappy with Odi right now. The reality is, I don't know how much better of a goalkeeper we can realistically sign and how much are we going to have to pay. And this goes back, this kind of ties into what Rui said later in the interview when asked about why they didn't get a replacement for Enzo. And he says, at that point, at, at the end of the market, if we were going to get a player of any kind of quality, the amount that we would have to overpay for him would make no sense. And there's no guarantee he would be better than what we have here. A lot of people want to believe that anyone is better than Chiquinho. And that's not always the case, okay? And when he's not, you're going to be very, very angry with him because he didn't live up to the amount of money we spent on that player because we overpaid. We overpaid for Darwin Nunez. It happened to work out. And that was a, that was a, a gamble I was willing to take, if you remember. Because I said over the five years of his contract, he would pay off. He would pay dividends. He paid off in a, in two. Okay, in two out of five years, we got what we spent. Then plenty on. The, we made a huge sale. So again, once we make these kinds of sales, because it's Benfica and because of what we sell players for, we get absolutely ripped off on these on these prices now. Okay, and. That's why the club did not go out and get a guy at the very last minute to replace Enzo, who may not have even been better than what we have, because you only you have such a limited market at that moment in time. And he explains that again. So, so we didn't get a goalkeeper. We didn't get a replacement for Enzo. Same reasons. And I think it's going to be very hard for Benfica to find a goalkeeper to replace Odi um, in the market. One of these two B guys could grow to be better better than him, possibly. But again, you look in our league and name one keeper you'd rather have than him other than maybe Diogo Costa, who has his days too where he's not as good. And you know what? Porto are not going to be able to keep him much longer. They're able to, to manage to not sell him at this point, but they're not going to be able to hold on to him much longer. Um their finances are not good. They're they're certainly not where ours are, and we have a hard time, you know, keeping guys of that level. So, again, um, we didn't get the players, those players in this market. We did get a box presence, and we got a winger. And Rudy goes on to talk about that before he addresses Enzo. And again, their names are incredibly difficult for me. I'm, <laughs> we get Casper Tendelstadt and Andreas Schneiderhoop. Um, I'm going to, like everyone else, just call them by their first names for now, Andreas and uh, and Casper. Okay, Casper for $9.5 million and Andreas for $14 million. And Rui Costa explained those sales for $2 million here, $2 million there, you know, a million and a half here. The, that was the financing for at least one of these players. These were two targets the club had identified. They wanted these two players. They had – the players wanted to come. And those transfers were done not just to reduce the size of the squad, but also to finance at least one of these moves. And it worked. Okay. And we then get to the the arrival of Gonçal Gedge. Gonçal Gedge was not something the club was waiting for, was not something the club was expecting until, you know, towards the end when it became apparent that he was going to be made available 
to go on loan. And the player, you know, expressed his interest in returning to Benfica. And Rui Costa said the deal for Gonçalo Guedes' loan was done in about a day and a half. And he explained why this was such an important piece. Because Gonçalo Guedes can play multiple positions. I've said this also on the podcast. He's got, I think I said this in the last episode. He has the versatility to play different positions, okay, anywhere in the front three. And uh, he can come to and, and come, you know, he can play as a checking forward who, who checks to the midfielders towards them, comes back to get the ball and can distribute from, from that gap there in between the lines. He can also play either wing very well. And we've seen him play as the out and out, you know, striker as a false nine even. So um, this was a great bit of business to bring him in. Plus, he wants to be here. And he says that, um, you know, Huikosha says, a player that wants to be here, we want to have here. Which moves to the, the big part. And, again, uh, I don't know how long I want to talk about this. But um, there's Enzo Fernandez. Okay, Enzo made it clear to everyone in the world that he did not want to be here. Let, let's, okay, there was no force that was going to keep him here. And reintroduce him into this team to be doing what he was doing before okay Enzo has immense talent this is one of the best players in his position in the world already okay that 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 goes without saying that goes without saying and he showed it at the world cup worst thing that happened for Benfica was Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia okay and forcing forcing Scaloni to make that switch and to bring McAllister and to bring Enzo into the first team after that that first loss. The rest is history. They won every game from there on out. And they those two players especially got great credit for it, and rightfully so. And Enzo was very, very good. There's no question. But by the time Enzo came back from the World Cup, Benfica was too small for him in his ego. It, there's no question he looked at us as if we were too small for him. That performance against Braga speaks for itself, okay, that he wanted out of here. Okay, he comes back, he bleaches his hair blonde and um, puts on a, a miserable performance and then disobeys the, the manager's orders to not leave Portugal for New Year's. He goes back to Argentina with his agent, mind you, his agent who's supposed to be looking after him, you know, in, a, in you know, being his representative. And his age, and I know he was very influenced by his agent and by his family. There's no question about it. This always comes down. This is what's ruining a lot of the youth kids at Benfica that are leaving before their time and going off to periphery leagues to make a little bit of money. It's the agents and it is the families that are pressing them. The families want the money, and that's to an extent understandable, but successful people will tell you that you have to trust the process sometimes you can't just jump off at the first exit enzo jumps off at the first exit i believe enzo would have found a much better fit at a better club in the summer okay um where he could have been a legend i think he could have gone to a real madrid in the summer and worn the classic white kit won champions league's titles he decides to go to to chelsea a team with no history a team with you know sorry a very snobbish fan base and a very wealthy owner but a, you know a very plastic club sorry chelsea fans it's a very plastic club um 
and he goes for the amount. Okay, so Rikasha starts out by saying that he does everything to keep the player, and he could see that the player did not want to go. And then Chelsea the, the, comes in very hard for him in the beginning of the mark in the beginning of the month. Okay, the window opens, and they're coming full full, full court press. Once we get to the negotiating table, we see Chelsea's not so serious. The 120 all of a sudden is 85 that they want to pay. And they want to pay 25 up front or they want to spread it. You know, Chelsea's trying to go bargain shopping right off the bat. Todd Bowley is playing is playing games. But Todd Bowley, I as much as I don't care for him, and I think he's a clown. And, you know, I think he he's a clown in terms of football in terms of sports management, but he's a smart businessman. Like I said, he owns a media empire. And one thing he is, because you don't get to be as successful as Todd Bowley if you're not a very good negotiator. So I have to give Klikosh, first of all, a lot of credit. Him and whoever else sat in in these negotiations with him, none of this was really disclosed to us. Um, because Klikosh is facing Todd Bowley and George Mintz here, Okay. And he's got agent, he's got Enzo's agent also down his throat to get rid of this player. And he holds firm at that $120 million, okay? Yeah, he didn't hold firm at it all at once. But he goes on to explain how the how the clause actually works. And I had heard this explained on Canalones a little earlier. Uh, that, you know, on the night that the window closed, they also explained. They had a, a former sporting director for one of the Portuguese clubs explaining that the only way that the, the exit clause can be triggered, okay, is not by another club paying um, the, that amount of money up front. The way that the the clause can be triggered and the only way it, it can be triggered is by the player paying that amount. That release clause is for the player to be released from his contract and free to go somewhere else. So in order for that when we're on the final day of of the transfer window, it was impossible. It is impossible for Chelsea, and this would cause a tax nightmare for the player. Chelsea would have had to transfer 120 million euros into into Enzo's account, and then Enzo would have to pay Benfica 120 million euros, all in the space of an hour. It's not going to. Ha- it's just it doesn't move that fast. And again, it would create a an absolute tax nightmare for the player. So. Um, that was off the table. That was never going to happen. He explains that. What he stuck to was the amount of 120. He knew he wasn't going to get it up front. He he knew that that type of money in one payment was not going to happen. Also, as we know, the financial fair play rules that, that were hindering Chelsea from doing that as well made it impossible. But he held firm because what he did by doing that is he kept stretching it and the longer that it went on, the one of two things was going to happen. The clock was going to run out. The buzzer was going to sound. We were going to keep the player. And now I think about I don't know how well that would have worked. I don't know how he would have really responded and what kind of performances we would have seen from him after after all this. Okay, Or, or Chelsea were going to agree to pay – a satisfactory amount up front, and we were going to agree to a payment structure, you know, a schedule of payments that were to the club's liking. We got the latter, okay? Um, however, 
at the 11th hour, and this is when the report came out that Enzo was going to be staying, Chelsea agreed. Ricochet made a, a last-ditch effort to keep this player. And I give him credit for this. But now, it was, again, hindsight being 2020, I don't know how well this would have worked out. I suppose if the player had agreed to it, he wouldn't have been bitter about it. But um, it would have been something that pleased everybody. But the player wasn't going to agree to it. But Chelsea agreed that rather than 121 million which ended up being what they paid after all of the fees and and sent and whatever else was thrown in there they would have paid a hundred okay they would have paid a hundred and loaned the player back to benfica while keeping um the while keeping the player on their books all right so chelsea would begin paying enzo's salary immediately but he would continue to play for benfica for the rest of the season and he could see through the sporting project that he started with at the start of the season. And, you know, for, for a football person, at least for me, that has value. Okay. But that's just, I'm all, I've also never had 120 million put in front of me, but that has, that has value of starting what you finish. That's something I instill in my son, my seven-year-old, you know, when he starts something, he finishes it. I, I, don't let him out of things. Okay. I, I insist you started this, you don't like it, that's fine. Finish it. Finish it, then you're done. You're free to go. Okay. And and it's just it's it, it's a value that I respect in athletes and in people and in jobs. Okay. And Enzo wasn't having that. Okay. Enzo was not having that. And uh he wasn't having it alone back to Benfica. And at that point, Rikasha correctly noted um realized there's no saving this player. This player doesn't want to be here. I don't want him here. Um it's time to make this deal, and it, because he knew there's no no return from that moment, and there really is a that really is a point of no return because he's not going to be. We don't know even how his teammates felt about him. I mean, people are assuming that that Otamendi is is you know is is up you know upset about the way we may have held him hostage or the way that our president has talked about him because you know that's another thing he did bury him a little bit, but. Rightfully so, in my opinion. I am sick of we had a president that was politically correct for 20 years. I'm sick of political correctness. I'm sick of it in sport. I'm sick of it in life. I'm sick of it in business. I'm sick of it in politics. I am sick of political correctness. Period. If this pisses you off, say it pisses you off. And this pissed me off that he wouldn't stay until the end of the season. And at that point, the player is also done for me. But this is where the report that he was going to stay came from. And then the player just shot it down. And that's why at halftime of the Aroca match, it's now Fabrizio Romano announces it. Done. Deal done. And um, Fabrizio Romano gets on my nerves too. Because I know I know it's his job. And I know he's the best in the business at that. But literally, stay away from our players, Fabrizio. Stay away. Stop reporting. Because it makes everything worse. And, and these players' heads start to swell. I start to wonder if he gets a cut of these transfers. If clubs pressure him to start reporting things, to put more pressure on the selling club to sell. I mean, Benfica were under more pressure than I've seen any club under to sell a player in this window. The president tried his damnedest to keep the player here. I don't think anyone can have any criticisms about that. If you have criticisms about him as a president, there are valid criticisms. This was not one of them. Okay. There was no way to keep this player. The only way to keep him was against his will. And it could have destroyed the entire team. It could have destroyed the cohesion. It could have destroyed the morale in that 
locker room. It could have it could have destroyed what Roger Schmidt has been teaching him. Everything could have fallen apart. That could not happen. So I think what had to happen happened in this one. And I'm not happy, obviously. And Enzo's tweet that's since been taken down where he tried to give an quote-unquote emotional farewell was all BS. I, nobody bought it. He didn't even spell Roger Schmidt's name right. And, and he tried to blame the media. This wasn't the media, Enzo. It was you. And if you come back to Benfica in a match, if Chelsea play Benfica, you will be hissed and whistled at. There is, you are the absolute villain to us now. Okay, and there's nothing you can say or do on your social media that's going to change it. And and stop saying you're going to take us in your heart and tu corazón. No, 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 no. Actions speak louder than words, and his actions are piss poor. He's a he, he showed to be very low class and very low, just um, maleducado, like we say in Portuguese. It doesn't really it doesn't translate well to English. It translates directly to uneducated, but that's not what it means. Um. Mal criado, even like we say in Portuguese, you know, it just it he, everything about the way he did this was wrong and unprofessional. And um, no, I don't wish him well. I don't at all wish him well. I have no reason to. Um, I don't owe him well wishes. Neither does any Benfiquista. Okay, absolutely not. It, it's not even in our benefit because there's nothing. We're gonna get paid the same whether he flops or whether he flies. So I hope he flops. I. My bitterness towards Chelsea's kind of uh, come down a bit because they were at least willing to loan him back to us, and um, so so I'm kind of less hostile towards them. But when it comes to him, to Enzo Fernandez, I I I, I do not wish him well. Um, I'm not going to go out of my way to wish him, so to speak, harm. But if he if he finds himself isolated in that locker room, if he's he's the manager's already said he's struggling with English. Um, I hope he continues to struggle with English because he never he never learned Portuguese either, or or even a word. Um, if he finds him again isolated, if he finds himself not understanding or not, all of that's great. You did this to yourself, bro. You did it to yourself. You you had you showed zero patience, and now you have your money to keep you warm at night. I know that sounds, you know, envious or whatever, and. Uh, I respect business. I respect him going for the most. Then say I took the uh, what I what I would respect is if you were honest and said I took the steal because I couldn't pass up the money. Fine, but saying you know oh Benfica is an important st part of my life and and I will look fondly on our no get that garbage out of here. Get that garbage out of here. I forgave you when you called my club a trampoline in July or in August. This this is unforgivable, and um, I don't wish you well. And um, enjoy the Europa League next year, Enzo. Um, I'm hoping you guys go out of the Champions League right away. But if you should come to the Stade de Luz, understand you're going to get hell. Um, <laughs> there, I've been holding that in. Um, it sounded a lot worse a month ago, but uh, or I should say two weeks ago. But that is going to do it. Um, I'm going to watch Benfica play Bruges right now. Uh, so uh, you're going to hear this after that, obviously. But um, also there'll be uh, a recap of this first leg against Bruges coming out before this episode airs. But I, I did get it in recorded um, before the match. So uh, I'm going to go. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been a special uh, episode of Mr. Benfica where I just kind of air my grievances on Enzo Fernandez. 
I could have gone on for two or three hours, but at this point it's redundant. He's gone. And, um, I don't even miss him anymore. I'm going to be honest, maybe on the pitch, but, but I've liked what I've seen from the, from the side. And, uh, I have full confidence in the manager that he can do with the players we have, what needs to be done so that we, we hit our objectives, the ones that are still in front of us for the rest of the season. So, uh, thank you everybody. And, um, don't forget www.mrbefica.com. I have updated standings up there now and also, Follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinu and at and follow the show at Benfica Mister. Available also on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. All right, I'll catch you next time here on Mr. Benfica. TB Nation, this is the Mr. Mike Agustinio, and I'm here to tell you about a brand new podcast coming your way from the PTB Media Network. You know, every weekend in America, American soccer slash football fans, whatever you want to call the sport, tune in to their favorite leagues and watch matches upon matches. Every weekend, upwards of 100 live matches are available on television and on streaming in the United States of America. But did you know that that was not always the case? Did you know that there was a time where soccer was completely obsolete on American television? There was a time when the national team played World Cup qualifiers at high school. There was a time where there was no English Premier League on Saturday mornings. The only professional game played here in the United States was played indoors. Hard to believe when just this past Black Friday, nearly 20 million Americans tuned in to watch the United States and England at the FIFA World Cup. 
but that was a pipe dream at the timeline where we start this podcast back at the end of the NASL when it looked bleak, when the United States did not get the bid to host the World Cup 86, where college soccer was something uh, of an afterthought, uh, where soccer players went and decided to kick for the American football team because there was no future in the sport. I'm taking you back there, and we are going to relive it because it's important to know where we were before we can go where we're going. Birth of a Soccer Nation is a new podcast for the PTV Media Network. It's dropping in 2023 on the Parking the Bus podcast feed. We'll rewatch classic matches, throw in a documentary or two, some newspaper articles, maybe some magazine reads as well, and we'll relive the growth of the game from the bottom up, the underdog story, so we can understand just what it means to be an American soccer fan today and just how hard it was to get here. Listen to Birth of a Soccer Nation wherever you get your podcasts and find it on the Parking the Bus podcast feed. Follow the PTB Media Network on Twitter at PTB underscore media now. And be alerted when the first episode drops in 2023.